0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Smile That Finds Us podcast. We are excited to have Courtney Sommer, founder and CEO of vegan and cruelty-free home fragrance brand, Lake and Sky, on our podcast. Courtney started her career working as an assistant accessories editor at Vogue and also worked in branding before launching her company. She is currently a contributing editor at Domino Magazine. We immediately fell in love with her signature cult fragrance 1111 and cannot wait for you to learn all about her brand lake and sky has been featured in in style harper's bazaar allure pop sugar buzzfeed birdie and pretty much every editorial site or magazine you have heard of thank you for being here courtney thank you so much for having me i'm so excited to be here Well, we are so excited to talk to you and share your story. So do you want to start by walking us through your career path and health journey that led you to start Lake and Sky?
1: Sure, absolutely. So I know you had mentioned the career path, and that was absolutely, I had a fashion background. Um, I think we had an overlap where we, you know, I, I started in the press department at Barney's as an intern. Transitioned to editorial at Vogue. That was one of my first jobs. Also worked at Temporally of London and then eventually transitioned over into branding. Um, and I worked in branding for almost eight years. And I think that gave me a really good background on building brands, the relation between design and creativity through to product. So that was a really great, knowledgeable, um, experience. Um, and while I was doing the, um, the career path, I also at the same time, as you mentioned, had a health crisis that came about in my early 20s. Um, and that led me onto to a path of studying alternative healing. So essentially, I was had a health crisis and um, was going from doctor to doctor where, and kind of led in that maze of no one being able to tell me what was going on and mm-hmm. to the point where people were telling me I might not be able to have children, which no one in their early 20s wants to hear. And on a whim, I went to go see a healer and an intuitive. And within the first 15 minutes of me being there, uh, he helped diagnose me to something that no one else was able to tell me for a very long time. So this was also a long time ago. It was about, you know, almost 20 years ago. And it was much less of a conversation around where... um, what you eat, how you think, how you live your life, how all of that plays really a role into your physical health. I think that's all something we hear about so much more now, and it's kind of ingrained in us. But back then, I just didn't have that knowledge. Um, And I don't think we we, it was as apparent to all of us. Um, And so I made some changes that really helped my health. And at the same time, I wanted to know everything that this man that told this to me, what his knowledge, I wanted to learn as much about it as I could. So I went on to study a lot of alternative healing, such as kundalini yoga, prenatal yoga, meditation, Reiki, aromatherapy, all those things. And that's really what led me to
2: wanting to start a business in this area. So I hadn't heard much about your wellness journey. I think you and Delia had talked about it before. But what I think is really, really fascinating is that, you know, we hear it it's becoming commonplace almost, you know, this idea that the inside of your body should match the outside of your body. And also that there are other ways besides uh, Western medicine that can actually help. And I also think that people are still skeptical. I mean, I could admit, you know, I have been one of those people like, okay, I'll try a little bit of turmeric, but really I think I'm just going to have to have an Advil for my aching joints. I mean, you know, these things that yep. seem so simple, they can't really help. So it's really fascinating that, that you did this and you, you, you gave it a try, you know, when it was really out there, right? Nobody, probably if you tried to talk to people about it, they were like, whatever.
1: Yep. And I think one of the reasons why I did that was out of desperation at the time. Because I think it's, it's what led me there is after seeking all of this medical help and and there's no, nothing can replace the medical experience, right? They're there for obviously a purpose and they do have all these many miracles. I did have surgery and there's nothing that could replace that. I had to have the surgery and all of those things, but there it was almost out of like okay i'm just getting the same answer over and over again and it, one person is leading me to the next to the next and it, yeah. like no one's giving me a full picture of what is happening like a 360 degree view and what was happening was really i was eating something and that was not agreeing with my body and then it was creating cysts that essentially i had to get removed so and it was really just a dietary thing but at the same time the same teacher and intuitive was giving me information on how I was living my life, how I could slow down, how the thought process, you know, could help influence the way I ate and the way I moved about in my day. So it was all those kinds of knowledgeable things that I really hadn't heard before Mm -hmm. that changed the way I was looking at things and made me want to seek more. So I do agree, but I think it was, and it, it was almost, it was a good thing and looking back now um, to have that desperation because it led me to be like, okay, I got to do something different. I got to seek someone
2: out. That's not, you know, well, that I haven't heard of before. I think we're going to be seeing a lot of that again. Now, you know, yeah. because a desperation. We, people had to get creative during COVID and what, what that is going to lead to going forward is going to be fascinating. I also think that it's Very important to be your own advocate and whatever it is you're doing, you know, it's not that the doctors are bad, like you said, it's just you have to keep pushing till you can find the answers that you seek.
1: Yes, absolutely. And I think also not hearing like the one answer that you hear, whoever it may come from is not the end all be all, whether it come from Western or Eastern medicine, right. right? Like you're saying it has to, I think there is an intuitive piece too. Like I really knew something was going on right. different than what they were saying. And I was like, there has to be another solution here and there's something else, you know? So I really had to s- seek that out myself. And I do th- I-, I agree. Yeah. I think a lot of people are learning to say that, you know, if a doctor tells me one thing, I can get other opinions or I can seek some out an alternative treatment or see what, what works best for me. And for some people, that's just going to be the medical route. You know, there's no
2: judgments. It's whatever is the right answer for you. Well, and like you said, I think this is a whole other thing. Trust your intuition. Yeah, Trust that feeling. Don't push it down. Trust it. Keep, keep questioning if you don't feel like it's quite right. So Absolutely. And that goes for business, too. (laughs) Exactly. Life in general. I mean, you know, these little lessons that we take, you know, in a micro way really can apply, you know, to our entire lives. Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: And so then talk to us about the point when you were in your career and then decided to start Lake and Sky. And what are the actions that you took to start the business?
1: Absolutely. So with um, Lake and Sky, I had always known that I wanted to have my own business. Mm-hmm. My father was an entrepreneur. My husband is an entrepreneur. And it was always a matter of the wellness journey that I was on. I wanted to figure out a way to make that, that passion something that I was doing with my career as well. So it was always just a matter of figuring out, is it going to be a product? Am I going to be a teacher? You know, Just figuring out what that was. And ultimately, I knew for me, Um, I was good on the business end and creating something and creating products. And I really wanted to create something that lived out in the world and could create, bring joy to people. And so the original idea for that was after I had the, my first daughter, I got really into aromatherapy and using essential oils to heal from the birth experience and to kind of use that with, you know, my, my journey at the time. And so the idea was to create a product and the original line was more based around um, essential oil blends. And so what I did was I worked with someone who, an aromatherapist, I studied it as well, but someone that, you know, in aromatherapy, there's such a wide range of experience and knowledge. So I worked with someone and we created these blends and I actually went out and, You know, it was more just kind of a passion side project. Um, Being a new mom, this was something I loved to focus on, for instance, while she was taking naps. And what I would do is I I had a store in Soho that I loved. um, And I went there and we tried selling them there. And what happened right when I launched, I had a trademark issue that came up with someone I knew for the, the, the name of the product that I put out, even though it was... You know, I didn't do this big PR blitz or this huge launch or anything like that. It was really just something I was trying out and just kind of getting my hands wet and trying to create this product. Um, But it turned out to really be one of the biggest blessings in launching this business because what it had me do was, you know, I had to take everything back. So the, you know, the website, the creative design, the products that we did, everything had to be rolled back. And this was, you know, I launched right away and then someone I knew, sent me this cease and desist within a
0: week of me putting it out there (laughs) oh my god it was like
1: oh wow this is interesting so it was a great learning experience i have to say but what it made me do was really say okay i just put all of this savings i had into launching this business if i'm gonna do this and go back and do it the right way obviously i will trademark everything Mm-hmm. Um, and then I will, I have to really think this through and make sure, okay, it's almost like I had a chance to do it. And then I had a chance to redo it like right. In the right way and, and better. So what I did was I went back, got another job, got some more savings. I put it all, you know, it was all myself launching it with my own, uh, mm-hmm. capital and I, I rebranded everything. And what I did was I changed the whole line. So I, I did some aromatherapy and I added fragrance on a whim Changed all of the design, all the packaging, all the branding, and obviously the name Lake and Sky. It's funny, when I was working with my trademark lawyer, I think I sent her 20 different names. And the only one that came back with no conflict was Lake and Sky. And those are my girl's middle names. So I was like, okay, that's it. (laughs) We got the name. Um, But it turned out that when I, I worked with a perfumer, we created the 1111 fragrance. And when I had that chance now to do kind of take two, put it back in the store the people I was working with at the store called me within a week and were like, oh my God, this fragrance that you have on the shelf is selling like crazy. And people have come in that they smelled it on someone else. And they said, oh, we can only get it at the store in Soho. And it just started to have this kind of almost immediate uh, word of mouth following uh, from launching it. And I was like, oh, wow, this is incredible. So we really, it, it grew just from that test on, on one shelf,
0: which was amazing. Oh my gosh. That's incredible. Mom, do you want to talk about our trademark journey and the importance of having a. You have to trademark your name before you.
2: You have to be vigilant about it because we came up with the name and we did the website and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, we were talking about it all the time and it was definitely our name. You know, we knew that was going to be our name. And then uh, someone said, you better trademark it. So when we met with a lawyer, she pretty quickly called back and said, that's not going to work because there's another company called the ties that bind us and they make ties, but it's too close. And, or the ties that bind, something like that. And, you know, I was like, oh, that's so terrible. Cause I was like, well, we're just going to do it anyway and just not have a trademark because we, we you know, we really, the brand is really us. So Dave said, nope, we're not taking that, you know, no for an answer. So she gets back on the phone with her and she's like, okay, well, what about this? What about this? She she pushed her and pushed her till finally she got creative and said, okay, well, what we could do is we could trademark it in the, since we weren't selling a product, we put it in like the, was it the entertainment? It was something to do because eventually, you know, there might be a show or obviously podcasts and things like that. And eventually there would be products and things like that. So through being our own advocate, Delia really helped the lawyer to not, you know, she hadn't even tried it. She was just saying, you're going to spend a lot of money and most likely it'll be rejected. So we said, you know, go in this avenue. She came up with it. She said, well, we could do it this way. You know, we had this discussion and finally we felt good enough about it that she submitted it and it came back and we got it. So if I had been left on my own, we wouldn't have a trademark because at that point I was not thinking of being my own advocate. I was yeah. just accepting what other people said and being disappointed, you know? Yeah. Absolutely. And
1: I think with me too, it felt almost like when I look back on that experience, it was almost like a course correction right. in, in terms of the business, because if I had continued the business, how originally I had launched it with aromatherapy and the branding that it was, it just, when I look back at that, it's almost like that was a draft run. Right. It just wasn't right. It wasn't the right branding. It wasn't the right name, not the best product. So it was like when I could redo it all, I was like, okay, how do I really like taking a step back? How do I really want to do this?
2: The fragrance might not have ever come about.
1: Exactly. So, Mm -hmm. yep. And then 1111 came about the name. So putting 1111 on a product name, why that came about was I was studying Kundalini yoga at the time and we were in this whole, numerology class (laughs) right before I had gone to study it. And because, you know, fragrance has a, um, the juice of the fragrance has a a wide range of colors, but this one was clear and it just, the smell of it was more mysterious. It's a, it's a musky blend of white ambers um, for anyone that hasn't smelled it. And it just has this kind of next to skin, very ethereal feel and vibe. And so 1111 just kind of fit um the name and so i think people really gravitated towards not only the smell but people do have a connection with that number whether it be you know people have emailed me that they got married on that date that's their birthday they make a wish every time they see it so people it just has a real connective um name as well
2: yeah it's interesting how packaging the name there's a lot that goes into the final product and it's yes. absolutely
1: absolutely There's a lot to consider because I think also doing when you do launch a product, one of the things you realize is no matter what retailer you'll go in, whether it's big or small, it's the product really has to be amazing. Um, Like it has to be the packaging, the branding and all that, but the product itself, there's so many products out there. So it has to stand out in some way or be something that, is really going to either help people, bring joy to them, something that they love and want to use every day, something to make it part of their daily ritual. So there's a lot of emphasis that has to be put into your product being
2: special. Right. And we learned recently about um, how important packaging is. They won't even ever try it necessarily if the packaging isn't attractive. And I have to say, I love your packaging.
1: Oh, thank you.
2: It's just peaceful and calming just looking at it.
0: Yeah, that's what we were going for. So I'm glad that it it came across. If you need a recommendation of a trademark lawyer, we are more than happy. Feel free to contact either Allison or myself. And Courtney might be willing to share hers too. And do you trademark the name of each product?
1: I do.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: Okay, wow. So before you create the product, you have to submit. I mean, that takes so long. It does. So what I do is when we come up with,
1: um, the initial idea for a product or what the fragrance is going to be, I almost start the naming process right away because it, it not only does the, it need to pass the trademark, but the name itself really has to go with it. So I've had so many names that I've loved for products and been like, Oh, this is the name. It's perfect. It works with everything. And then it just gets shot down right away. So you really have to come up with about 20 names. That go to your lawyer, and then you assess. You know, it, I had one lawyer that trademark lawyer would give me um, a green light, a yellow light, or a red light. Ah. That was her system. And so, you know, the red lights were always out, and the yellow, you just had to assess. You know, what what other category are they in? Is it internet? You know, based on because of fragrance, obviously, with our eleven eleven, for instance, for instance, we've expanded that to candle, body oil. You know, right. we have other things in the works. So you need to make sure that you can across work across different categories not just the one category you're seeking now because three years from now you may want to expand that
0: mm-hmm. right and it's better to do it all at once i kept being like just send me every category possible because yeah. we could potentially do this if you go back later i think it would be more expensive
1: yes absolutely yeah. and one of the things we've seen now for instance is that 1111 is being used on products you know mm-hmm. So it's an interesting balance to um, not if if there's a direct conflict, we'll, we'll make sure that it's not going to be on fragrance, for instance, or one of the categories that we already have trademarked, but you know, you do see, you do start to see names that are similar to yours pop up after what you use. So trademarking is a, is a must. Absolutely.
2: Very good advice. Any advice for how to well, how to decide to change directions. You kind of didn't really have a choice though in that, but um, how did you stay positive through all of that? Knowing you had to go back and get a job and save up money again. And looking back now, you know that it was, maybe that's one of the things you do is just say there's some reason this is happening, but how did you stay positive?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think looking back on it, it's it's so much easier to have that perspective, but when you're going through it, 100% agree, it's a different story. Um, I think what I had to do was kind of step back for a minute and say, okay, do I really want this? Do I really want to go back, start from the beginning, have to get a job that I'm not too enthusiastic about, but I know that will pay the bills and will allow me to do this. You know, So I took about a six month period to do that, to save the money again, and then go back and start from scratch. So it was another year and a half journey before I actually launched it again. This is not a short process and by any means. And and it's hard. I mean, being an entrepreneur, there's always that chart that I love seeing where it's like what people see and it's that line going up and then what actually goes on. And it's the line that goes up and down nonstop. Yes. And I think that's really the journey of an entrepreneur because some days are easy and wonderful and other days you're like, oh, wow, this is, am I doing the right thing? Oh. You know, it, it happens. And I think during that period, I had a lot of those days. But one thing for me was I had like I had mentioned, I had always wanted to start a business. I had, and I, this felt like the right category for me to be in beauty. I always loved fragrance. I loved what essential oils and beauty and the natural beauty space and what you could do. And I really felt it was the right thing. So I tried to see it as, as I was going through it to say like, okay, here's my opportunity to do it again and do it completely different than the way I did before And, you know, it did work out, but at the time it was not, it was not the easiest thing, but I tried to keep the bigger picture in mind. Like I have a goal, I'm going to get there. It was a lot of times it was two steps forward, one step back, but, um,
2: but we did it, you know, I got there. So that is a great, you know, we can, we can certainly, um, relate to everything you're saying. And I think what you just said, keep the big picture in mind, keep that goal in mind when you're feeling really discouraged and. You know, don't give up. Yes, absolutely.
0: So, switching gears to anyone who is interested in editorial and what magazine life is like, what was it like working as an editor?
1: Yeah. So I so um, one of my first jobs, like I mentioned, was being an assistant in the accessories department at Vogue. Mm-hmm. And then I went on to, you know, now I'm still a contributing editor at Domino magazine. It's wonderful. I love it. I mean, what I love about the editorial I, being young, it was one of my first jobs out of college. So working at Vogue, it was just you know, it opens your eyes to this high world of fashion. And it was amazing. I had this job where I would run back and forth from photo shoots. So being in accessories, they would kind of just, here's, here's all the things we need to go to this photo shoot. And you'd be left on the curb with a car and try to figure out how you're going to get all these things to the photo. <laughs> and I think, you know, it was amazing. It was really amazing. And I think one of the good things about it was it was kind of like you had to, it was like sink or swim in a way when, when you're that. Yet kind of young and straight out of school and figuring out this world. Um, but it was so wonderful to be able to work with these people that these editors that had such an amazing eye and creative um, inspiration. It was really, it was a fantastic experience. And still to this day, when I work with the girls at Domino, they are so fantastic at what they do. Um, and it's so inspiring to be around other women doing these things.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Oh my goodness. So what, like, tell me, tell us hours. What did a day in the life look like as an assistant accessories editor?
1: So the Vogue experience, um, that's a good question. <laughs> it looked like a lot of shoes and a lot of bags, and this was a long time ago. So I'm sure it's very different now, but you know, there was the, the sample closet at Vogue is um, pretty well known, but back then, you know, there was someone that worked in the sample closet. We would go in and depending on how many shoots that were happening that day, they we would pull, you know, uh, 20 pairs of shoes that had to get packed up and shipped out and go to certain places, or they were either going to a shoot, for instance, in Europe, or they had to go to a shoot downtown or whatever it was. So it was a lot of sourcing and packing, um, credit checks for the magazine, um, a lot of cars going back and forth to shoots. And one of the things I did was I dealt with all the fine jewelry, which was really exciting. Um, so what I would do is they would send me, based on how much the, um, the jewelry was for the shoot, when it was over a certain amount, they would send me with either one bodyguard or two bodyguards. <laughs> I would yeah. go in a town car from Condé Nast, and they would say, okay, here's the list of what you're going to pick up. So it would be me and the bodyguards. We would go to each jewelry store, so Fred Layton to the next one, and we'd have a list of what we were picking up, photograph everything, Wrap everything, pack it up, and the the other person was there with me. So you know we had a another person just to make sure everything was being done correctly. And then we would he would walk it out to the car, and then we go the next one to the next one, pick everything up, drop it off at the shoot, go to the shoot, unwrap everything, count. You know you had to check everything off. Insurance involved, so that was another big part of my job. And then you know a few days later, you turn around and do the whole thing with returns, um, which was really interesting. But I saw a lot of beautiful jewelry.
2: Wow, that's really cool having your own bodyguards. (laughs) Yeah,
1: Yeah. I mean, first day I was was like, you know, my first day doing it, I was like, I'm going to have bodyguards. Is this safe?
0: (laughs) Oh, that's so funny. And what knowledge is what knowledge and experiences from your career have you applied to your company?
1: Yeah, I think one of the I think the branding experience working for an agency I learned a lot there. Um, because what we would do is they were fantastic minds and creatives in terms of how a brand would, you know, what's their, why, why are they doing it? What are they trying to put out into the world? What are, how are they trying to make the world a better place and really building from that seed of what the business is about and how that affects every pillar of what you do. So from the product to the customer service, to the packaging, you know, now when we look at sustainability, how are you going to give back? So considering all those aspects and really taking through who you are as a brand on every touch point and really just understanding also with the branding, having that knowledge of how everything came to be. So how the photography worked, how, how, you know, newsletters, the design, like all those different assets and having that understanding really helps, I think, me in the day-to-day of, we're going to create a video or we're going to do photography and how those assets need to work across different things for packaging to um, using them in a video to how they're going to work on the website. So I think all of that knowledge is really helpful to have. Mm -hmm. Um, And also with... um, that was the branding aspect. And I think I also worked in production for a while. Um, I had a production company with a friend of mine where we were producers. Wow. We produced, for, we produced photo shoots. Um, and one of the things that really helps with production, as I almost compare it to I was also a waitress at one point and what, when I was in college. And what the, I think that helps you do is like from beginning to end, you have to figure it out on your own. And that's kind of what production was is you know, someone would come to you and say, okay, okay, I wanna do this in downtown New York. I have a small budget. I need animals and models and you know, so there's yeah. all these moving parts, but it was just kind of like, okay, you just gotta figure it out. So and and it's it's we would just no matter what, I mean in production you would get blamed for everything, including when it was raining. So <laughs> we used to laugh and be like, here comes the rain. It's gonna be our fault, you know. But you just and the same thing with waitressing almost where You just, you know, someone wants this and you have to run, you just, it's, it's very much this, this, um, I think embodiment of, we're just going to figure it out. And I think that came in really handy when launching a business because, you know, everything from trademarks to like the packaging, to how we're going to get a website up and all of those things really with entrepreneurship, you learn so much. And in so many areas that you, I don't think you could have ever anticipated before you launched
2: the business. That's so true. And, and just pivot, 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 just like you said, we're just going to figure it out. Whatever it is, we're just going to have to get creative. Yeah. And I do
1: when, and whenever I talk to other entrepreneurs, you know, I work in a building now where there are about three or four other friends of mine, we all have our own businesses and we all come together every once in a while and have a lunch just to kind of share resources like, Oh, I did this with my marketing or I did this with my, you know, so just having that kind of, Um, other people to bounce ideas off us because a lot of entrepreneurs we all have these these challenges and different areas that you really need to
2: to figure out as you go I think that's great advice I mean have have a group have have a group of people that you can share you know information and questions with and things like that that you trust maybe they're in adjacent brands but you know not exactly the same thing you're doing yep yeah not competition, but it's not in a safe situation where you feel comfortable um you know being vulnerable about that okay so i think the next question how did you learn to start run and grow a business we've kind of covered it but did you say your father is an entrepreneur
1: correct so my father was an entrepreneur he owned a business that built parts to airplanes so wow. um he did he did that all himself as well um and then my husband is an entrepreneur. He um, is in the restaurant business. So I went through a lot of things with both of them, just seeing how, how being an entrepreneur and having your own business, it really doesn't, it's definitely not a nine to five job. <laughs> right, right, right. It comes home, it, you know, it comes into the weekends and it, but there's a passion there and a drive
2: because it's yours that can't be replaced by anything else. Right, right. Sometimes people will say, do you ever not work? And I'm like, is this work? I mean, it's just life. It's my life. Exactly. You know, it's yeah. And, you know, it's fun solving all these puzzles and everything. And, you know, not literally, but.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and then besides a trademark, is there anything else that someone should keep in mind when starting a business? I think when starting a business,
1: you really have to know your why, because yeah. I think you, if you, if you really love it, like you said, it, there's going to be a lot that you put into this blood, sweat, and tears. It does take years. I mean, I think even as we know, and we've seen the overnight success, quote unquote, it's never really overnight. Right? right. I mean, I've been doing this for, uh, you know, I launched in 2015. It took two years before that. So I'm going on, you know, um, almost this will be my eighth year doing this business. Right. Um, so it really does take a long time and, and it, it, takes a lot of responsibility, a lot of hard work. So I think you really have to love whatever it is you're going to be doing. So for me, for instance, I love my product. I love doing my business. It's such a passion for me. So it it has to be whatever you choose. It has to be something that really gives you joy every day.
2: Amen. Totally agree. All right. There are a lot of steps when you're setting up a business that I think people, you know, like the, the... Technical. I don't know even the right word for it, but things like finding a warehouse. How did you go about that?
1: Yes, that's an interesting thing. So for me, and um, it, it's 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 an interesting point because I think with products specifically, like in the case of um, perfume, say, and beauty of what I was doing, you you know, there's a minimum order quantity or MOQ that vendors are looking for. So I had to find a vendor in the beginning that would work with me on smaller MOQs. So for instance, he would, it took me a year to find him specifically that someone would, would, would print my information on my bottles. When I first launched, it was done with labels and I would hand label each one. And then when I found him, it was, you know, small miracle, but I found him through, you know, it was like one contact after another, after another. And I finally landed on someone who would do, he would do a thousand. So he would print a thousand bottles for me. You know, now we print, a lot more than that. But at the time, I I just didn't, I couldn't start with printing 10,000 bottles, for instance. So that came through a lot of tenacity and finding the right contact. The warehouse, how that came about is kind of an interesting story where when I first launched and and did some press, I wound up, you know, one of these, uh, it was a beauty blog, a woman had reached out to me, and I did an interview with her. She was so great. And then she said to me, you know, I actually work for a company. If you're ever looking for some help, why don't you come in and talk to us and see? we'll see if we can help you in some way. And I went and, you know, you got a lot of inquiries and it's, it's interesting trying to field them to find the right one. Absolutely. Um, So, and I had gone in and I met with her and it turns out they, it was a fantastic company. And they said, look, we do do warehousing and shipping. We don't know what your, you know, how much inventory you have going out and all of that. But we, I started the relationship with them where for the first 18 months, we've now gone on to take on another partnership role with each other, but they, they shipped all of my product for 18 months and I just paid them for their services. So really I found it in a roundabout way by this woman who wrote an article, um, but I, I would it would be something that I uh, I had talked to other entrepreneurs, um, friends of mine that had their businesses in, in other categories that use different warehouses. So I was exploring it because for the first two years of the business, like I mentioned, not only was it just the labels I was doing, but I was shipping every package myself from my dining sure. room table.
2: Sure, <laughs> I've heard a lot of that too. Yeah. I think that's a great another point for people to take in is that you never know where something's gonna leak you know, you would have never known when you were interviewed for that beauty blog that it was going to lead to this kind of connection for you. Absolutely. Yep. Had no idea. (laughs) Think about being an entrepreneur, be open to all kinds of opportunities.
1: Yes, absolutely. I think that's a big thing. And then Yes, because there's a lot of, and I think now too, you know, there's, like I mentioned, there's a lot of things that come, are incoming, right? People that come to you or services, and you really do have to kind of vet people. So I think having that community of other people or reaching out to people, having mentors or people that have done this before to give you advice is really helpful,
2: really helpful. Absolutely. And it saves time too, but definitely, you know, you do have to do a lot of vetting. It's just like, it's not like that person just fell in your lap. You had been exploring it and doing work towards it. Yes, absolutely. Yeah.
0: Getting into a store seems very glamorous, like it can be a huge moneymaker and that you will have made it in quotation marks. In reality, it can be different than one might expect. So let's discuss that. Yes. It's an interesting journey. So right now we're in,
1: I think, over 150 doors in the U.S. and Canada. Um, We started very small with boutiques, you know, and it was really just reaching out to people. I did do some trade shows, which really helps. And finding the right trade show, I think, is a fantastic option for brands looking to get out there and sell their product. Mm -hmm. Um, And I still do them. I, I think it's a great way to meet buyers to get out there. And it also helps you rehearse your pitch of what you are, you know, sometimes you only have five minutes to talk about or one minute to talk about your brand. So it really, by the, you know, by the end of three days, you have it so down pat, that yeah. you become an expert at your own brand, which is great. Um, but with stores, yes. I mean, I think one of the learning curves for me was getting into a big store, you know, we did a test in Ulta a year and a half ago. And last year, we, we then launched in 350 of their doors, which was a fantastic and such an exciting experience. They're such a great partner. But there's a lot of things that you don't know at first when getting into a big retailer. For one, you have to have your backend and your system set up to talk to their systems. Right. So what's interesting is like when I had first launched and you're starting to say like, oh, I would love to to work with this store and that store and meeting with them. I didn't have my infrastructure set up that even if that account had come in, there's no way I would have been able to to move forward with it. So meaning their inventory system has to be able to talk to mine. And then having also a budget set aside because you do have to spend to be in those stores. So everything from signage to um, marketing to helping sampling um there's a, a lot of costs that come up to be in that retailer and also you have to be a partner to help make it successful so promoting it on your own channels driving traffic to their website for various ways talking about your partnership and also really there's so many products in those stores Um, so trying to have your, how, how are you going to get your product to sell? So I went around when we launched and when they did our test in a hundred doors, I drove to as many of those stores as possible and went there and talked to the managers, checked out the products, took pictures of them on the shelf, like did as much as I could interaction as possible.
0: Well. I know that is wonderful that you did that. And then what about setting up the relationship with your store buyer to make sure that it is a great partnership you're not getting taken advantage of, you know everything going in, any hidden fees, sample packets, signage, mailers, all of these things that kind of come later. Oh, by the way... (laughs) Yes. Yes. That does happen. I mean, I think what happens is because a lot of these,
1: what happens is sometimes you'll be introduced to one person that'll be kind of your lead into the company. And then it, you know, once you're in, there's a many different departments that you'll deal with. So sometimes you, you know, you work with one department that is doing something different than another department. So it is almost hard for them to give you all those things up front, right? They could say, Oh, we'll estimate this, but it right. does always ebb and flow as you go. So you really have to be flexible, I think, with working with them and not, not afraid to say no too. I think you have to know what works for your brand um, because ultimately you want it to be successful for you and them, right? So just getting in there and doing everything they say, and yes, we'll do this and do that and do that. You don't want to spend way more money than you're going to make with them anyway. Right. So you want to find that right balance of, you know, when there's so many sampling opportunities, you say, you know, give me your advice. What would you do if if you were me? Where do you think we fit best? I think we fit best here and kind of finding that right balance of things. But yes, there are some things, some opportunities with various stores we've had to say no to, because we just don't think it's the right way for us to be spending money. But ultimately these buyers have a lot of knowledge and they know their customer, but you know, your brand, Right. right? So It's a conversation and an ongoing relationship, but you really do have to be the advocate for your brand and your customer.
0: 100%. And I'm glad that you said that trade shows are still relevant. So let's talk about how did you find the right trade shows for you? And if you realize you get there and you realize, oh, shoot, this isn't the right one. How can you make the best of a situation since you're spending time and money? Yes, that's a good question.
1: So we had done a few, we had done one, I think that was not the right one for us. And then we found the right one, which was shop object. Okay. Um, And I always wonder if I'm saying that name, right. (laughs) But but yes, we did that one after doing another one, which was not the right one. And that one, what we did is really, we just made the most of it. We made as many contacts as we could. We had spent the money. We talked to a lot of entrepreneurs around us, just kind of hearing people's stories and you know, how did you get here? How did you, what shows do you do? So that's, that's almost how we found this other show was just hearing other people saying, oh, we do this one and we do that one. And then doing the research and saying, okay, this is the right one for us. Um, and once we started doing Shop Object, it really was the right place for us. There were other brands like ours. Um, there were a ton of fantastic stores that came through. It was just, it really felt like the right fit. Like we'd found our trade show that we're gonna do for years to come. Um, And we've done it a few times now and it's been great every time because you just, you meet different people. And we've always had the thing with trade shows too, which I find beneficial is, you know, some, something may not come through for, we had a store that came through last year in, I think, October from meeting them in February so you have these relationships and these stores and the buyers. they take their time because, you know, they have budgets and they have certain things they're, they're focusing on for that quarter or whatever it may be. But it may not all come through right at that show. But there's a lot of follow up you have to do to stay top of mind for these pe- for the buyers. More. But there's always a possibility it can come through much later. As for instance, that happened to us last year.
0: Oh my gosh, 100%. I always tell my consulting clients, you know, this is this is patience. I cannot go up to some boy at a bar and say, "Oh, are you going to be my husband?" <laughs> like <laughs> you, and it's kind of this you meet them and then it might take a month, it might take a week or 6 months, a year, who knows what, but you you just have to start that relationship. So that was a great reminder.
1: Yes. And a lot of things what I would do is when we had started a conversation with a buyer um you know if it had been a month or two that would go by you know i would just reach out to them and say hey here's what's new with us we've launched this new product or we had we won an award last month for this for this beauty award just want to keep you posted yeah. on what's going on with our brand would love to send you new products and you know sometimes you never hear anything and sometimes mm-hmm. you don't hear anything and then 3 months later they email you back and say okay yeah i'd love to see that sample now so it's really you know patience is the long game absolutely when it comes to stores
2: patience and diligence and um keeping up with that you know like you said reaching back out finding a way to reach back out where you don't feel like you're being annoying yes um, but you have to once again be your own advocate yes
1: i, I mean, mean yeah you don't you definitely don't want to um it is a fine balance, right? I don't want to email them every week, but you give them some time. And then I think what I would do is when I had some news, that's when I would reach back out when it felt like I had something to share. Um, so I wasn't inundating them with just the same information over and over again.
2: You know, and, and they'll tell you sometimes, you know, keep emailing me. I'm, you know, if you put yourself in their place, this is what they're getting every day, all day long. Yes. So you do, you know, when you think, oh, I don't want to bother them. It's actually, you know, it's, it's just part of the business. It's part of being an entrepreneur.
1: Yes. And I've had my fair share of rejection, too. Don't get me wrong. Sure.
2: <laughs> of course. Of course. Yep. That's part of the business, too. How did you decide on a balance between D2C and wholesale for your business?
1: Yes. So when we launched, I always wanted to do both about 50, 50, Um, obviously we're selling fragrance. So fragrance is gonna sell itself when people can smell it, touch it, feel it. They need to have that product in hand. So one of the things we did was sampling was really big for us. When I launched, Birchbox had reached out to me and we I took out a small business loan and I really wanted to test the product because there was no other opportunity that I could think of where I could get the sample of my fragrance in hand to 20,000 people right? There's just, this has an opportunity to get people to really try it. So sampling was really important to me at that time. So we did a test with Birchbox. It did amazingly well. It was one of the most highly converted to purchases for an indie fragrance brand that they've done. Because I was early on, it really tested and gave me a good feeling that, okay, we really have something here. This fragrance is really going to work. And if people can smell it and try it, They'll like it, and I also use that to this day when I talk to buyers. I'm like, "Look, if you try this on your shelf, I promise you it will sell." Our 1111 still to this day has a 100% reorder rate. Um, it's still wow. best selling. We've never had anyone not sell through or come back to reorder, which is um, amazing. Right? Really yeah. But to answer your question, um, and I think the D to C, having that a strong infrastructure there and having that in place was really important, especially given 2020. and the pivot that we all had to do so never you know we know we now know that there are things that can come up that can completely change the course of business for all of us so having that website set up that being able to ship within you know 48 hours and all of that is really important so i always wanted to have a balance because with between the sampling and our website and then also having people being able to really try it and shop that shop it in stores and the good thing is because our fragrance is a rollerball and it's a fragrance oil, it does, it does as well in stores as a, a clothing store to a beauty department store to, you know, we also sell in like Moon Juice in LA where people are going in to buy a green juice and then they go to the apothecary section and buy a fragrance oil. So yep. it really works across category and store.
0: Oh my goodness. And then you mentioned small business loans. So let's explore that, how to know how much to take out, how to find the right bank,
1: Yes. Um, so this was all, this was a, another trial by fire for me. I learned it in the beginning. Like I said, this was all a self-funded business. So when Birchbox approached me, you know, they let me do um, a certain amount of samples and I was like, wait, how much is that going to cost? <laughs> <laughs> so for me, you know, I'm a longtime New Yorker. I live in upstate New York. Now, I went to a local bank here and I, I gave them the background on, you know, my PowerPoint presentation on my business had this opportunity with Birchbox and it turns out one of the women in the meeting was like, Oh my God, I love Birchbox. They're fantastic. We're so excited for you, you know? But, um, so it worked out that I could get a small business loan through them and it wasn't, you know, a ton of money, but I did need to cover my costs for, um, but the sampling while also not I, what I didn't want to do was take that off the bottom line, right. Out of my business. I knew this was something I could pay back over time. Mm -hmm. Um, And the good thing was the birch box was so successful that I was able to pay it back, but you know, it's a gamble either way, but I, I didn't take out. I only took out exactly what I needed, nothing more, but I did just, it was almost like, you know, applying for a mortgage or applying for anything else. It was going through that process with them and really, having them understand the benefit of me being able to get my product in the hands of all of these people. And they saw that benefit.
0: A lesson from this whole conversation, I think, is communication, learning how to communicate your needs, under, being able to even understand your needs and then telling your story. Yes.
1: <laughs> and having a clear I think being able to, to have your, to meet people where they are in terms of telling your story, you know, some people love to hear all about the ethereal version and the background of eleven eleven, And then sometimes the people in small business, they just want to hear the bottom line. Right. So what is, how are you going to pay me back? All those things. So I think knowing your audience in a way, right. And telling those aspects of your story when appropriate.
0: Mm -hmm. 100%. What
2: is your best selling product?
0: Yes. So we're most
1: well known for our 1111 line, our, um, fragrance oil, the 1111, which was our original scent that we launched within 2015, still to this day is our bestseller. Um, and since then we've expanded it. So we have a candle, we have a perfume spray, we have a, and a body oil, and we have some new products launching this year in that same olfactive category. Um, that this fragrance line, um, scent has won three beauty awards, which was really exciting. We won a lower best of beauty for our candle last year. Mm. We also won the mind body green award for our fragrance oil and the new beauty indie fragrance of the year for our perfume spray, the 1111. So that whole collection has really been our bestseller. Um,
2: Congratulations. Love That's it.
1: yeah, they grab and it well out.
2: deserved.
0: Yeah. It's been, it's been really great. I'm really thankful walk us through the process of designing a new scent. How long does it take to go from concept to shelf?
1: Absolutely. We're actually right in the midst of that, that process right now. It's actually very exciting. We have a new fragrance. We launched two fragrances last year and we have one coming out at the beginning of April this year, which we're very excited about. Um, But that process is, so I work with a fragrance house. Um, called Roberte, who's fantastic. And really what it will be is that we'll look at our portfolio, what we have, what category the sense are in right now, and kind of what we're missing. You know, if we look at across the board and someone were to sample all of our sense, what, what's the white space there? And we come up, is it a woody gourmand? Is it more of a floral? So we come up with kind of the background of what those are. And then we'll give them a brief on, this is this is an example of the category we're looking in. And here's some of our favorite olfactive scents. Some of the things that this brings back a memory to me, or I would love to create a scent of, you know, I come up with an inspiration. Um, I have done mood boards. Like this is kind of how I would love it to feel based on these visuals. And we'll kind of combine all of those things and give it to the fragrance house. Um, and then they'll come back to us with submits and they come back with kind of you know, 30 different submits. And then what we do is just narrow the process down to our favorites. And then we start to give really direct feedback. Like this one, we'd love, you know, the dry down to be a little bit more like this or a low. So it's very much like a creative process that we do with a back and forth, but it all really starts with an inspiration, with a mood board, with um, what are, what we're missing on our portfolio. And then we go back and forth and it can take anywhere from, you know, uh, I don't, it could take anywhere from one month to nine months to get a fragrance, right. Um, it really, it depends. It depends. Cause for instance, we just had, you know, they just sent us another round of revisions on our last ones. And one of them, we said, oh, wow, this, this is almost done. This sounds smells like it's done. We all love it. And I'll work with my team and we'll all, we panel it together. We all wear it. I'll I'll give it to friends and family and say, what do you think? Would you wear this? What does it remind you of? You know, kind of ask all the questions and sample it on my family mm-hmm. and friends. <laughs> and then, you know, my team does the same and we kind of base
2: it off of that. Since you, at least from what I understand, your background was not like you didn't start off in fragrance. Where did you learn all of this, the knowledge that you needed to to do this? To do fragrance? Yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think part of it comes from aromatherapy. So when I studied aromatherapy, I did learn a lot about oils and scents and the chemistry behind it and how they all work together. And we do use essential oils. We still do have aromatherapy blends and we still use oils in what we do. So that knowledge really helped me with the perfume space. And then also working with my partners that have a huge background in fragrance and they're kind of experts there. So it's a combination of kind of my personal Um, experience and inspiration with their expertise and then working also directly with the fragrance house. So it's, I think it's the combination of all three of our
2: backgrounds that work together to come up with a product. That is just so interesting to me. When you, when you started out on your wellness journey, you probably had no idea it was going to lead to this.
1: Just no idea so No idea. <laughs> all I wanted to do at the time was feel better and make sure no. I was going to be healthy but, right. but yeah it led me in an in an interesting direction absolutely
2: I know. it's so life is so magical it really is how do you go about selling fragrance online
1: yes so I think sampling like I would mentioned before sampling is a big part of what we do so in terms of sampling programs with people like Birchbox, we actually used another vendor and tried it again last year so offering free samples one of the things i did last year was when we launched a fragrance online i offered free samples to uh through social media and through our newsletter community for a certain amount of time so just saying you know zero dollars order this online and you can try the fragrance so that was one way to do it And then also what we do now is people can try, they can purchase samples on our website. Mm -hmm. And then what they do is they get free shipping and they get 10% off of a full size order. So it winds up being the same cost if they were, for instance, going to come on and just buy the full size. So that's another way to help people be able to try your fragrance. We're also working on a discovery set that will launch later this year. So people will be able to mix and match and try whichever uh, fragrances they want to from the portfolio. Oh my gosh. So I think it's a combination of things, but yeah, I mean, it, there's definitely this barrier, but I think one thing that one, one good thing that has come out of 2020 is I think people have gotten so adapted to, to purchasing online. Mm-hmm. Um, we were already, but I think that just the amount of people doing it for so many other categories has increased Um, And one of them being fragrance, you know, I think people said in the beginning, like, oh, fragrance is going to tank in 2020. I remember seeing those trends. And I think our numbers said the opposite. And then I saw at the end of 2020 trend forecasting saying, oh, fragrance did so well this year. So Mm
2: -hmm.
1: I think it's very hard to predict consumer behavior, especially in a year of a pandemic. But I think people are grown accustomed to sampling online. And I think one of the things like when you have a when you work with a vendor like Birchbox they have a tailored, um, audience built in that is used to sampling. So they're excited to get their sample box, try things out and they're used to sampling and sure. if they like it. So. Right. Yep.
2: I don't know if Ulta does it, but I know with Sephora. When you order something online, you get to pick like two samples of something. Yep. It's an exactly. interesting way to do that too. I hadn't really thought about the fact, but, you know what that was all about.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, or yep. like, GWP, the gift with purchase at Barney's. Like if you order a pair of jeans or whatever, sometimes this happened with net a recently. And sometimes you get a surprise. Yes. <laughs>
2: there,
0: yes. And we do
1: that. We also, so we've done a gift with purchase with Ulta, which has been wonderful. They have a fantastic program that does that. And one of the things we do uh, with our products when someone, so now when someone buys a full-size product with us, we put a sample in there. Uh, without, you know, it's not something we advertise. It's just something yeah. you get it and they get an extra sample in their package, almost like a surprise and delight.
0: Yes. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And as an entrepreneur, we are in a unique position to create change and or make the world a better place. So what do you hope to accomplish with Lake and Sky?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think one of the things with having a beauty brand is ultimately what I want to do is create products that bring joy to people that your fragrance is so personal. It's something that people, you know, they have smell some of these scents and they say, "Oh my god, it's so me." You know, now my husband knows it's me or people know when I come in they're like, "Oh, we know you because of your smell," right? Yeah. It's, it's such a personal experience and I love that so much that people have found a scent that really it, it's part of their ritual. It's part of their daily lives. That I think is really drives me to be passionate and love what I do because it's bringing, it makes people happy. Um, and I think one of the things I also want to do with this business is giving back is such a big part of our business. Um, you know, we do that through sustainability efforts. And one of the things we did last year was through uh, starting on earth day in 2020, we partnered with an organization called One Tree Planted, where they, uh, they, we plant a tree with every online order. So essentially, we donate $1 to this organization, which is a fantastic nonprofit that plants trees everywhere from South America to Africa to North America um, to reforestation efforts. Um, and it's been a really fantastic partnership. And it just makes you feel good about giving back for, for what we're doing.
0: Oh, Yeah. Hi. We're obsessed with One Tree Planted. One of the greatest ways to be sustainable is to plant trees. So that is incredible. Yes,
1: yeah. They're a fantastic organization.
2: That's wonderful. Do you plan to expand beyond home fragrance and beauty?
1: Yes. I mean, I think one of the big things we've seen, especially with last year, is that candles have become very popular now that we're all at home. Um, So one of the things we did is we launched three candles last year and we have more in the works for this year. So I think we will always be an indie beauty company with a focus on fragrance. Cause that's our love and our passion, but we will have the ancillary products. So for instance, 11, we have an all over moisturizing body oil. We did a hand sanitizer last year. Um, we do have the candle business. So we will expand in that way, but I always see the core of our business as beauty
2: and fragrance. Yeah. And that candles just, exquisite. Thank you.
0: Courtney, I cannot wait until I can go out and about again and wear the fragrance. I really want to like make everyone that I'm with, if I'm out and about getting to be social, smell. And since it's kind of unisex and see, see what they think with 1111. So I'm dying to do that.
1: (laughs) That's so great. And one of the things we hear, which is hysterical is what everyone says is that when they wear that fragrance, they get stopped from yeah. one of my friends was like, I really thought this people were hitting on me, but then I realized <laughs> that it was just, <laughs> actually wanted to know the because it is unisex. We do have a lot of men that wear it too, which is fantastic. Right. So, um, so you will, you'll have to tell me if you get stopped by people asking you what you're wearing.
0: Oh, yes. Oh, I cannot wait, Courtney, get me out of here, please. <laughs> I know. Really? I feel
1: the same. I feel the same.
0: I know. Okay. How did you pivot during COVID?
1: I think because we had a strong online business that really helped. And, you know, we had, we saw that what happened is right away, most of our retailers and wholesale accounts just stopped ordering. Mm. So, um, that was, you know, something that we had to plan for in our budgets. Um, and, and that did come back. It did take some time, but, you know, we saw our Q2 all of a sudden our sales were like, no one was ordering. And then people stopped ordering online. And then what happened was we saw a lot of people were started to shop us directly from our website. And then eventually a lot of people, we do sell our fragrance on Amazon. A lot of people then went to Amazon. So it was an interesting consumer behavior. But what we did was we did a lot of communication with our customer. So A lot of newsletters, a lot of social posts, just kind of keeping it inspirational, keeping in contact, Um, a lot of wellness tips. With my background, I like to put a lot of that into our content. And then also just really focusing on our D2C channel. So our website, making sure everything was, all of our infrastructure was there, everything was set up. We had the right amount of inventory in-house to be able to keep up with that demand.
2: Well, we adore your branding. We adore the website, the social media, everything. And we were wondering, you know, we were talking with someone recently and he said, if the packaging isn't there, most of the time, I don't even consider picking up the product because it'll never get off the shelf. What were you considering when designing your packaging?
1: I think packaging is so important. Uh, so important. It's so true. Because if you don't, if you see a package that doesn't resonate with you, you just you just pass it right over, especially right. in a crowded store. Mm-hmm. Um, so with our packaging, one of the things we wanted to do was, when we started, you know, we had all the black and white packaging, the, the cloud design, yes. and that went across all SKUs, but it was really based on the 1111 11 cent. So because it was mysterious and ethereal, we wanted to keep it simple and chic and make sure it was very clean, just like the fragrance. Right. So it has a clean scent. You know, some people compare it to, you know, just done laundry, which I think is, you know, how people compare it is really interesting. I'm like, I would never say that. But if that works for you, great. <laughs> so, We really wanted to keep the packaging to be really simple, really clean and have it stand out in a way that wasn't. You know, it didn't have to stand out because it was a bright color. It could stand out in its simplicity. And one of the things was my designer at the time. She's actually from upstate New York, where I live now. And this was one of her photographs of clouds that Mm. she took. And we translated it into a black and white design. It is
2: very dramatic. Spot on. It's just beautiful and different.
1: Yeah, and I think with the candle, you know, you see because you've seen the packaging and tried it is what we wanted to do was how can we do things that are different so that when you actually open the candle, the, there's a continuation of the design and the inside of the package. So it's not just what you see on shelf, but it's also the experience all the way through from unboxing it to actually taking the, pro- the, the product out of the box.
2: Absolutely.
0: And is it kind of matte, the, the packaging, or no?
1: Um, it is. Yeah. Yep. There's no shine to it. Um, it's not like we, it's not specifically matte, but it's, it's definitely like we took any sort of shine off of it.
2: Not like high gloss. Yeah. Ugh. Exactly. I love it. I love it.
0: How did you choose? Uh, your, oh.
2: Sorry. I was just going to say I photographed it to post and I love the photograph of it.
1: Oh, good. Yeah. And it's funny because when we first designed it, you know, I don't think we, we had that in mind, you know, now you always keep that in mind that, you know, there is this social aspect of people being able to photograph it and have it look good on Instagram. Um, so that obviously all comes into play, but I don't think that was our original intention, but luckily it worked.
0: Oh, it really did. (laughs) How did you choose your price point?
1: So I really wanted our price point to be affordable. Mm -hmm. So it is a really high end product in the sense that we use high end ingredients we obviously, we use FSC, which is Forest Stewards Certified Packaging. Um, so we really do everything. Um, you know, we don't we don't go the cheap route, put it that way, in terms right. of our ingredients, the bottles we use, and the packaging that we use. But I really wanted to make sure that it was an affordable price. So for instance, when you look at our candle, our candle is $48. Candles can go from anywhere from, you know, $40 to 100 and something. dollars. So oh, yeah. we wanted to keep everything so that it was... You know, it, it reaches the higher end consumer, but also it's just like a broad range. So I, I I'm really about keeping the price friendly to across category.
2: And um, that makes it a great gift too.
1: Exactly. Yep, yeah, it is, and that's one of the things we wanted. I really wanted, you know fragrance is so personal and subjective. So it's not as easy to give, you know, a fragrance as a gift, but a candle on the other hand, that's very giftable, great hostess gift when we're all going to be having parties again. But yeah, exactly. So that's why one of the things with the candle to give someone a really beautiful candle is a great gift. Most definitely.
2: How is your brand natural and sustainable?
1: So natural in a sense of the ingredients that we use. So we use as natural. Whenever possible. So for instance, we have a soy base with our candle. We use sugar cane alcohol in our perfume sprays. Mm. So I think that's instead of using the regular alcohol using this sugar cane, because that's the majority of what the fragrance ingredients are. I really wanted that to be a natural component. So when we have, we're paraben sulfate and phthalate free, we're vegan and cruelty free. We are clean at Ulta. So they have this dirty list and we are, you know, have none of the ingredients that are on those those dirty lists across the board. we also have a list of frag uh, list of ingredients that we will never use um, so we go by that standard and then we also offer so we have fragrances that do have synthetics in them, and then we have the two that we launched last year, for instance, that are one hundred percent synthetic free so that 's the canyon rose and the echo Lake, and we have another one that 's coming out this year that 's also synthetic free so we offer two Right. So, cause some people just want to know, okay, it's paraben sulfate and phylate free has all the dirties, the dirty ingredients out of it. I'm good with that. I just want to smell good. And then we have people that are saying, I really want well, looking for the completely synthetic free fragrance for me. So we try to yeah. offer both of those options. That's great.
0: So Courtney, what is
1: next for you? For Lake and Sky specifically, we're planning to launch some really exciting products this year. We're also planning international expansion for 2021, which will be really exciting. Because a lot of people, you know, it's been a really complex and hard year this past 12 months, and we don't know what's to come. I'm going to plan to use some of my tools from my background in terms of meditation breath work. Um, I use Kundalini yoga every day for me to stay grounded and sane. So we're going to be doing a lot more of that type of content in our social and our direct newsletters to our, our audience there. So trying to help people with wellness things that they can do and also keeping it so that, you know, here's a one to three minute meditation, or here's a quick way that if you're feeling stressed or anxious, you can kind of come back into your body and calm down or change your mindset. So just kind of giving those little tools to people. And if it resonates with them, great. If not, you know, they can move on, but just trying to give that content out because I have this background and I've studied this area for almost 15 years and I continue to study it. So it's like, how can I help people in that way? So we're trying to focus more of our content on that to come.
2: Oh, that's lovely. That's wonderful. So where can people find that and you?
1: Yes. So on my Instagram, which is at Lake and Sky, we did post one, our first uh, meditation, which was for burnout. I think a lot. I think everybody felt <laughs> included was feeling a lot of that at the end of 2020 and into 2021. So this was a short, simple meditation and breathwork series that helps with prevent burnout. And then we're going to be doing more of that on our newsletter. So sign up for our newsletter. And also you'll find it on our social and we'll be posting everything on our journal section of our website.
0: We love the journal section of your website. So we highly encourage everyone to check out the journal. And thank you so much, Courtney, for being here. We love your brand. Thank you so much. much. It was such a delight. Thank you for tuning into this episode on the Style That Finds Us podcast. If you like this podcast, make sure to tell a friend and subscribe. You can be a part of growing with us. Also, do you know about our weekly newsletter? You'll get access to exclusive content in our newsletter that we don't post anywhere else. Our newsletter comes out every Tuesday with the exception of the
2: third Thursday of the month for Allison's special Celebrating Life After 40 edition. Head to the bottom of the Style That Binds Us website to subscribe.